0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Today Imanyana. I'm Alex. This is Michael. Happy we're, to be here. We're very excited to have you joining us this morning. And uh, as you can hear, we're going to be joined very shortly <laughs> in the show by Ben Beitler from Creamwood Farm, which is indeed a dairy farm. So we'll be looking forward to that uh, in just a few minutes here. We've got a, a great show lined up for you. He's going to be joining us. We'll have some finance topics later in the show. Glad to be here.
1: Happy to be here,
0: Alex. With you. Uh, glad to be here on the Isle of Seville Network. Uh, appreciate, of course, all our great partners Emergent Financial Services, Matias Young Realty, Credit Series Insurance, Castle Hill Cider, Forward Adelante. Uh, love uh, just really being able to partner with so many great businesses here in Charlottesville, Virginia. So we got, we got a lot. A lot, a
1: lot going on. It's, it's the best part, too, winter's over. It's spring's here, right? It feels like it, doesn't it? Spring's here, yeah. Th- there's no more cold days. Exactly. Cool. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, uh, last night,
0: it, it, it changed, but last night I was checking the um, weather forecast for Friday, and it was predicting 78 degrees. And I said, what, are we going to skip spring and go straight to summer? And, you know, thankfully that's been uh, It's been adjusted, adjusted but it's still like 70 tomorrow. It's, it's going to be 70 tomorrow. The so problem that's... is
1: with this weather, Alex, do you get a chilled cafe con leche or a hot cafe con leche our viewers are wondering what's Alex going to recommend I know I, I would
0: still say with the rain still go with the warm cafe con leche still, it's
1: pretty humid out there the AC when we were driving here the AC turned on on your car, in car automatically it's
0: true it's true so I just it's that time you can choose your preference is it, can you
1: have a lukewarm cafe con leche is that doesn't but sound right
0: feel like either hot or cold is mm, yeah. kind of your... Uh, lukewarm. Do you, lukewarm seems indecisive. Like, do you want cold or do you want hot?
1: So, so what's that? Alex's official thing? that Before people so sit I'd down, they get, need to know. i get
0: your hot cafe con leche. Settle there into a cozy spot. It's still rainy and dark. You're going to feel cold if you drink a cold cafe con <laughs> leche. Would be, my, would be my suspicion. And, I mean, we certainly have some good news relative to last time. Because last week, we were sitting here saying, oh, man... UVA basketball, not doing so great. How then yeah. they won
1: three in a row? Well, it's because you and I since gave the... a pep talk. We were like, "Hey, oh. come on! You guys can play better. Tony, better figure it out." And they were watching today mañana, and they made the adjustments. I mean, we noticed. We watched the game. We we're like, "That's." What, I was like, "Alex told them to do that," and and it worked.
0: Exactly. But it, it's been pretty. I mean, since then they obviously they beat Virginia Tech, which was good.
1: Yes. Always good. They um
0: <laughs> they then won their first road game
1: of the season. Of the season or in the, AC, the ACC their first season? first true
0: road game. I think they had won like, some neutral spot games. Mm. But I don't think they had won a road game all season like, wow. in the opponent's stadium. So they did that. And then they got revenge last night. It took overtime. But they got revenge against NC State for having crushed them a few weeks ago. So we beat NC State. So that was nice. So, I mean, we're back to over five hundred in the ACC. Got some wins.
1: I mean, a record is... What what we have like five losses or
0: I think five losses. So I mean it's it's not a bad record. The really the the issue is one of those is how lost to Notre Dame. It was like one of the worst teams in basketball. So it's, it's a bad mm. loss.
1: Yeah, I, I know, but they could still turn it around. I mean they could you look at the schedule outside of I mean they got obviously one game against UNC and one game against Duke. If they mm-hmm. can manage to sneak one of those exactly. and just have one loss the rest of the year at least you give yourself a shot. If You have a good ACC tournament run. Yeah, you, you can I mean, if they have better. one
0: loss to get to one loss for the rest of the year, they probably don't have to beat two out of three of Duke, UNC, and Clemson, which are the three good teams. Oh, Clemson too in the ACC. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to beat two out of those three teams, which mm-hmm. is probably what it would take. I've read some articles that that might be what it would take to get to the NCAA tournament. Got it. Probably not. Can't have any other bad losses, mm-hmm. and probably going to win two out of three. Then some combination of. Dude, UNC, and... Uh, it's doable, though. Doable. It's doable.
1: I, think, doable. I think they're better than they've played in, in some of their mm-hmm. losses.
0: I think so, too. I think we've got, we've got some good players. We've got some talent. They just have to figure it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, the defense has been good. It's just every once in a while the offense just can't figure it out. As long as the defense can keep it close and, and offensively, they can get, you know, the get more people involved and not just feel like it's just Reese Beekman doing everything.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Already got some people tuning in this morning. Uh, Bill McChesney. Thanks for watching the show this morning. Ali Raza, thanks for du- watching the show this morning. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Irby, watching the show this morning. So I always appreciate our fantastic guests uh, joining us. And speaking of fantastic okay. guests, yeah. we're excited <laughs> to uh, welcome to the show this morning Ben Beitler. He is one of the founders and one of the owners of Creambrook Farm. So, Ben, thanks so much for coming on this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really no, excited. It's our pleasure. So, I mean, for those who haven't met you yet, so tell us maybe a little bit about yourself mm-hmm. and how. Because I know people farmers like a family business, the, the, the family's involved, yeah. you, your wife, your kids. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you how you first started it, how you first done, went down the path of, of starting it.
2: Yeah, uh, so the cliff notes, to make a long story short, is I did not grow up farming. I uh, actually grew up in northern Maryland, north of Bel Air, um, close to the Mason Dixon line. Um, I. Grew up. My grandparents used to go to farm shows all the time when I was a kid, and they would take me along. And I fell in love with tractors and animals and all those things. Uh, graduated high school, attended Towson University outside of Baltimore, because that's what I was supposed to do, or at least I was told. I uh, was getting good grades, but I was literally bored to tears with college. It drove me crazy. Like I, I would go to college, I'd come home and split firewood and sell firewood on the side, just to like stay sane um, with the classwork. And... Um, at that point in time, I came across the writings of Joel Salatin over at Polyface Farm. Yep. It really reignited that interest I always had in farming, but I'd always been told, like, well, you can't farm. You don't, you don't have a farm. Your family's not farmers. Yes, uh, exactly. Most people might not realize this, but farming's kind of the American royalty. Like, you're either born into it or you have a really long, bloody struggle to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we, so, which way? We know which way you We know which add, way I took, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, Polyface had an apprenticeship program. I applied. Moved in 2007 from Maryland, quit college, in between college semesters, sat my parents down. It's like, hey, guys, um, I just canceled all my college courses because I could get a full refund. I'm taking my summer job back and so I can move to Virginia. I'm going start farming. And the reaction was mixed to say... <laughs> <laughs> to say the best. Um, but anyway, I moved down. Re- didn't really have any idea what part of agriculture I might end up in, but just did the apprenticeship program, worked for multiple other farms, just kind of like t- tasting and trying different things to see what caught my interest. And I found that I had a real love for cows, really, really enjoyed cattle. Um, and for whatever reason, milking was something that, and, and raw milk was something I was really drawn to. So in 2012, uh, my wife, Chris, and I married. Uh, as soon as we got back from our honeymoon, we borrowed her dad's truck and a cattle trailer and went to Pennsylvania and bought our first couple dairy cows. Wow. We were renting a small little farm in the Swope, started milking there. That's where Creambrook really kind of took off. Uh, we were still doing some pasture poultry and some other things on contract for another farm at that time period, but the, the dairy was the long term. Mm-hmm. Goal. Uh, we operated there for two years, realized that we didn't know what we were doing. So we kind of temporarily shuttered Creambrook Brook and uh, over the next three years worked for multiple different farms, two of which were in, in Pennsylvania, kind of getting my quote-unquote master's degree um, in dairy specifically. It wasn't a literal master's degree, but just getting experience. experience. Yeah, experience. getting experience. Um, and then in 2017, we got the opportunity to, to come down to our farm in Middlebrook. Um, So we relocated from Pennsylvania back to Virginia. My wife's from Virginia originally, so that's where her family's from. And started Cream Brook with the intentions of certifying as an organic dairy, shipping milk commercially to Organic Valley. We did not have um, ambitions of becoming a raw milk operation, but 2017 was a really terrible year for commodity dairy. And we were kind of caught in the crosshairs. Like, here we are trying to get started. Mm -hmm. The market's awful. Like, we're going to go belly up, literally right out of the gate if we don't adapt and make some major changes. So uh, we had worked for some raw milk operations. We were familiar with raw milk. We're like, well, we know how to do this. I guess Mm -hmm. we'll we'll start trying that. So uh, I think it was June or July 2017, we started our herd share. Um, It was like 30 folks. Um, In Stanton and Charlottesville are the two areas that we kind of originally got started with. Middlebrook, where our farm is located, is just outside of Stanton, just southwest of it. So maybe 50 50 minutes from here. Um, And then things took off from there. Um, we found there was a real need for, for the raw milk. Of course, we were highly motivated, too. Like, we, we had just acquired this farm. Of course. Nothing yeah. will motivate you like a mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> necessity, right? <laughs> yep, necessity. And um, so we, we worked aggressively growing it. And then when COVID hit in 2020, and everybody had kind of this scare over food accessibility it like blew the lid off of our business. I mean, we all of suddenly just, just got inundated. Mouth. Yes, we just got inundated. And we thought at that point in time that this is a one-time blip in the radar mm-hmm. uh, just because of the unique situation everybody was going through. But COVID was followed up by a real interest in people on how can we improve our own health? What can I do to make mm-hmm. myself resilient? Um, not just to COVID, but to anything. anything. Um, so you saw people joining gyms and eating cleaner and, you know focusing on how they can improve themselves and raw milk really kind of fit well with that and there's just been an explosion in interest and demand for raw milk uh since then which we've we've struggled to keep up with quite honestly yeah
0: (laughs) that's amazing just love what would you say you started with about 30 people you said Mm -hmm. where where are you up to now
2: in terms of like we're serving around 2,500 families wow yeah 2,500 cow shares that's that's amazing it's crazy so,
1: so the process of raw milk, is. I know the milk you buy, for example, in a grocery store, it's pasteurized. Yes. So what's the process of you for getting raw milk? Is it literally just straight from the cow you put in a bucket and then you put into a bottle? Or is there
2: anything else? I'm it's curious. a lot more complicated than that. I, I figured it was. <laughs> yes. Um, so first, let's define raw milk. So raw milk mm-hmm. is milk that is straight from the cow that has not gone through the pasteurization process. Mm-hmm. Now, at our farm, we have a stainless steel system where our cows come in. We have a, a prepping and cleaning process where we clean the teats off, we do a full inspection of the cow, mm-hmm. make sure there's no issues with that individual cow before the milker is hooked up to her, At which point the milk is drawn from the cow, goes through a filtration system that catch, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we try to get as clean as we possibly can, but this is a micron filter. Like you'll catch teeny tiny little things that you wow. know may have gotten missed. Then it goes through what's called a plate chiller. It looks like a car radiator. And what it does is it has well water running through it. So it takes the milk, which comes out of the cow at 101 degrees and it chills instantly down to about 60, about well water temperature. Mm -hmm. From there, the milk goes into a stainless steel tank that has refrigeration lines uh, that go back to a commercial compressor, and is chilled down to about 33 to 34 degrees. The goal is to chill the milk as fast as possible. The faster you chill it, the longer the shelf life, the longer Mm -hmm. the freshness. So there's kind of this Mm -hmm. race to get the milk cool as fast as, as possible. And also, most pathogens cannot survive cold. So, or they don't mm-hmm. thrive in cold. So, exactly. the sooner you chill it, you also—it's another defense system we have within our systems to make the milk as safe as possible.
0: That's incredible. So, it's, it's so much that goes that goes into that. What is kind of like the shelf life of? So, like you, you get a, a, yeah. a bottle delivered. Mm-hmm. How long, typically? I mean, if you've refrigerated it. Yeah, you so refrigerated
2: forth. properly and all those things. We like to try to get the two weeks. Yeah. Like we guarantee ten days, but two weeks is kind of our, our goal. You do lose a few days because you have it you know, getting bottled and transported and people coming to pick it up. But we like, it to, see, we like to see 10 days in the customer's mm-hmm. possession. Now, mm-hmm. honestly, most of it's long gone yeah. before the next week rolls around and they mm-hmm. get a fresh delivery. But if, if the milk is clean and everything's being done properly, we've had milk go as long as three weeks.
1: Interesting. So you just talked about the delivery. So how is the process if someone's interested mm-hmm. in... Purchasing your raw milk,
2: yeah. So Virginia is a little bit of a interesting uh, place when it comes to, to raw milk and, and access. So you can't just buy raw milk in Virginia. It's illegal for me as the farmer to sell you raw milk. Um, it's not illegal for the consumer to possess it. It's weird. It's kind of like fireworks. But anyway, um, <laughs> can't sell it. You can have it. Yeah. Don't light it. You could you could just leave it somewhere and I could pick it up. Yeah, a... <laughs> exactly. Um, but the way it's done in Virginia is what's called a herd share. So it's similar to a CSA where a member will purchase a share of the herd, almost like buying a stock in a company like Google or you know mm-hmm. Facebook or something like that, and in proportion to your ownership, you get dividends or a return of ownership, which in our case is the milk, the yeah. end product. And then how we, the farmers, are paid is we are paid for the service of managing the herd, bottling, distributing, and all those other things. So technically, we serve 2,500 member owners, if you want to call it that way, mm-hmm. um, that we're, we're basically providing the milk, and then we have some extra products we do, like um, the kefir, which I know you want to talk mm-hmm. about here a little bit soon. Um, but you know, we get paid for the service of, of providing that. So we, we can't actually sell the milk. as has to go specifically to members, mm-hmm. um, and that's the way Virginia handles it. It's different in each state, like Pennsylvania, California, Washington. You actually can buy it off of a store shelf. Like, it's legalized in those states. And then you have other states like North Carolina where it's, tech, it's sold in store shelves, but it's sold as pet milk. It's not sold oh. as, not for human consumption. Everybody knows what's going on. It's kind of a, a, a paper charade. <laughs> so you have to go
1: to, like, the pet section to purchase the raw milk?
2: Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
1: that's funny. <laughs> well listen some of that pet food listen we used to feed our we used to have a Westie and we actually fed him raw meat, raw meat. Yeah. like mm-hmm. organic raw meat yeah. and it was like like it looked like it was like it was like stuff. human quality yeah it was yeah. like really good stuff so sometimes the pets eat better than we do I'm not yeah, gonna lie well <laughs> I,
2: yes and that's a whole other topic but but yeah it, it's one of those things where each state handles it differently this is the way it's mm-hmm. done in Virginia um, it's a little bit clunky um, but it's basically it's a subscription you know you you purchase in the herd share you have your you know weekly dues that you pay and you know, but the nice thing is like especially during during the uh supply issues with covid is when you're a member you're a member like you're in mm-hmm. you know it's a weekly subscription same as a magazine yep. or or gym membership unless you cancel it or you change your altar or something like that so you know this is something we work really really hard is like if somebody gets on with us we won't make it as consistent we want to be as reliable as the mailman or more reliable than the mailman as far as, mm-hmm. like, hey, your milk's going to mm-hmm. be here every week at this set time. Exactly. So it's a
0: now is the, is the purchase of the herd share, is that like a one-time? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you, you make a one-time buying yeah. a share buying. of yes. a cow, yes. essentially. Uh-huh. And then you pay, essentially, a weekly yes. amount, which is basically the, yes. the milk to be delivered. The service fee. To, Yeah, the service yes. to get the milk to the place where you'll pick it up. Yes, correct. And you guys have a lot of drop-off yes. places. So it's not as though if you're in... One part of Charlottesville, like, you have to drive 30, 30 minutes to stand yeah. to pick up milk.
2: Yeah, we have a spot in Rutgersville and then, you know, all the way up through 29.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a busy system.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are, on that topic, so what are some of, because obviously I think this might be a new topic for some people that are maybe used mm-hmm. to just going to the store and all the milk in Virginia. that You to know, yes. the store is pasteurized, most of it's homogenized. Yes. So what, what would you say are some of the either myths or misconceptions that you encounter that people have this notion yeah. of raw milk that are incorrect? Well,
2: let's have a quick history lesson because I think it kind of helps explain yeah. this. So everybody drank raw milk for thousands and thousands of years, no questions asked, didn't think anything differently of it. You come up, fast forward to the 1860s up through like the 1890s, we have the industrialization of the Western world. You have people all suddenly moving in very confined spaces with little to no sanitization. I mean, if you looked at like Victorian era Mm -hmm. photos of inner cities, it's awful. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, all these foodborne illnesses start popping up when you had this massive urbanization happening. And raw milk was one of the key problem foods. Like you had extremely high infant mortality, had people getting sick on a regular basis. So there became this real push among um, the legislatures and also wealthy people who were you – know, phil- or philanthropists, I have you say that word. I, <laughs> oh, philanthropists. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. Um, who were like, we need to clean up milk. We need to figure out what to do about this. And basically there was two opposing sides that came out to how to address this issue. One was we'll, we'll pasteurize the milk. We cook it because magically when we cook it, the illness issue goes away. Mm-hmm. And the other was um, supported by a man named Henry Coit, who had lost a child to milkborne illnesses, who said, I think there's still great value in raw milk. Let's see what we can do to clean up the farms. Mm-hmm. So Henry Coit went out, got a bunch of medical doctors together. They created the Medical Milk Commission, and they went around and started certifying certain farms where they actually had doctors visiting the dairies. This is the 1890s. You know, this is early. And setting standards and practices for how do we make a dairy farm clean. Mm-hmm. A lot of these practices were later adopted by the USDA for the foundation for what became grade A, which is the standard that almost all farms mm-hmm. are, are held to uh, for milk production. But there, there was basically, for decades, this coexistence between pasteurized milk and then what they called certified milk, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily called raw milk, but And the interesting thing was the certified milk was actually used extensively by hospitals and certain doctors. Like the Mayo Clinic actually had a dairy farm specifically supplying them with raw milk for medical research. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's published papers you can find online still from the Mayo Clinic on different research that was done by leading doctors at that time with raw milk to try to address certain issues. Um, There was actually a farm in New Jersey that milked over 1,600 cows. Granted, this is the 1940s that was supplying raw milk directly by rail into New York City, Philadelphia, of course New Jersey, down into Baltimore. It was actually allegedly the favorite drink of President Franklin Roosevelt. Wow, and he, when he went to the Yalta Conference during World War II, he specifically ordered to have fresh milk from that dairy supplied during his overseas trips <laughs> for World That's War II. Amazing. But um, post-World War II, you had this push uh, not just culturally, but also industry, industry-wise to kind of homogenize society and everything like this. Mm-hmm. And there was a massive push to get rid of raw milk. A lot of states passed laws where the only way you could legally sell milk was through pasteurization. Virginia was one of the states. Now, there were some states that didn't change those laws, like California. Raw milk has always been legal in California. They never altered that law. But they're the outlier in that situation, mm-hmm. and over time, um, raw milk got pretty much squeezed out by regulation, and, and also there was a lot of public campaigns where people would dig up all these horrible statistics from the 1880s to the 1920s, yeah. and be like, you know, why would you give this to your kid? You know, you're you're a terrible person if you do. Um, so that was kind of the major push. And then, starting in the 1990s, early 2000s, you had people starting to get reinterested really in like, you know, the paleo diet and like eating more traditional. And raw milk kind of started to see a rebirth during that time period. And then uh, since 2020, it's just absolutely exploded where you have you know, actually board-certified medical doctors who are talking like, hey, this is actually an important food, people should be consuming it, mm-hmm. uh, where before that was unheard of.
0: How interesting. So what are some of the benefits? Like when that When they talk about like mm-hmm. why to go back to raw, what would be some of the reasons to return yeah. to raw milk?
2: So real simple we like to think of ourselves as a single cell organism. I mean, I'm Ben. I don't like to think about the fact that I'm actually inhabited by millions and millions of bacteria mm-hmm. and you know, enzymes and all, and all these things. I like to just think of myself as, as Ben. But the fact of the matter is, all those millions of little critters, they need to eat too. And the thing is, if you're just feeding yourself food that's been sterilized, it's not bioavailable to feed our gut biome, mm-hmm all of our gut bacteria, all the different things that we need for us to have healthy uh, functioning systems. So when you get a living food like raw milk or even something that's been supercharged like kefir with probiotics and stuff like that, now you're feeding your gut biome. Now there's more and more medical research coming out all the time about how a healthy gut is like mm-hmm. key mm-hmm. to a healthy immune system. It's you know, key to mental health. You know, it's, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not gonna get into all the research, but you just go look up PubMed or one of these other places online, and there's so much interesting data coming out all the time about the gut and what it can do mm-hmm. for human health. Um, so eating gut healthy foods, which raw milk definitely fits that description, is key to. And we, and that's not even talking about like. The minerals and vitamins and stuff we're just talking about simply the the bacterial and mm-hmm. like you're thinking why would i want to drink bacteria like mm-hmm. well whether we believe it realize it or not there's bacteria on everything we, well, there, we it's touch it's the same reason why
0: you would eat yogurt I yeah mean, exactly the odor is filled with bacteria yes
2: yes so you know obviously you don't eat the bad bacteria mm-hmm. but the more your system is resilient and strengthened the more easier you can it's just like working on the gym like you know if you work in the gym you build strong muscles and if you trip and fall the chances of a serious injury are a lot less than if you don't do those mm-hmm. things. So it's the same thing. Are you ex- basically exercising your gut, if you want to put it that way, stimulating it, mm-hmm. encouraging it, nourishing mm-hmm. it, feeding it, all of those things.
1: And, and you also happen to mention kefir, which we had talked yes. about a little bit. And, and I'm curious, so for those of you, for those of our viewers who don't mm-hmm. know, what exactly is it, what's the process of making it, and what kind of actually got you interested in?
2: Yeah. Um, so kefir is um, a, traditionally a drink from Siberia. Uh, a lot of the nomadic Siberian tribes are the ones that kind of discovered it and, and encouraged it, and then it migra- migrated down through Russia into Europe. It's a very popular drink in Europe, and there's there's lots of different variations of, with different names of similar drinks. Um, it's kind of become popular here in the United States the last 20, 30 years. I mean, uh, there's other places where it's been around longer. But um, basically, kefir is like a supercharged version, if you want to put it <laughs> that. especially if it's a raw kefir. Because like, there's a lot of pasteurized kefir for sale in the store, but that, that milk was kill, completely killed off and then they re-inoculated oh, the cultures mm. into this, where with a raw kefir, you've already taken this very bio-available um, product and you've just kind of like spiced it up for lack of a better explanation. But, but the other thing too is you have to think, once again, historical context. Pre-refrigeration, if you were going to consume a dairy product, you had to either drink it fresh because mm-hmm. it was going to sour extremely quickly without refrigeration and sanitary equipment, or you need to sour it souring has always been the long-term way of preserving a product, mm-hmm. outside of, like, making cheese and butter. Mm-hmm. But something like a kefir would be a product where you could take this thing with you, you could kind of continually be mm-hmm. culturing it, and it would preserve it, and it would be safe to consume. Um, so it's it's kind of a little bit... That's where it came from. It, it has a little bit of, a, like, a tart taste to mm-hmm. it.
0: How is it soured? What do you add? What,
2: so we, we add... So we inoculate with 16... Or, sorry, 12 different forms of... Um, uh, what's the right word for it? Probiotics. And the names are like as long as this table, so please don't ask me to repeat <laughs> <laughs> repeat them. You know, are some Latin thing. Um, but there's sp- specific bacteria that are introduced that create the fermentation process. And, then, and you can actually make kefir yourself. It's super, super easy. There's the commercial form, which is what we have to do because of making fresh batches all the mm-hmm. time, where you actually use an inoculant. Or you can make it on your own kitchen table where you have what's called kefir grains. It's like a scoby that you add to the milk. And you kind of refresh, same as like sourdough, you're constantly kind of feeding it and refreshing oh, it. And, and you know, there's like the mother, they all call it the mother in kefir, that's the mm-hmm. sourdough term. But um, you're constantly kind of like, and we've, in the past, uh, we have, or past and present, we have quite a few customers who make their own kefir using our milk. Where, you know, they've, they've acquired the grains, there's places you can, you can buy the grains, we don't currently carry them. Um, but you can, you can kind of create this yourself. It's
0: amazing. I I wouldn't have thought that that's what you you do. And, of course, you get that. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, please. No, So you get that. I mean, obviously, you have the health benefit, obviously, already of the raw milk. But now you've kind of – you've added those probiotics that so many people would otherwise go into the store and get a probiotic pill and try to compensate for Mm -hmm. the lack of it. But you can literally just drink it right there in in the food that you're consuming. And I
1: love the ingenuity of having the probiotics this way you can carry it with you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like I always love the – I don't want to say ancient methods of how yeah. we used to kind of think about food, but it's like even with, with cheese, it's like we said, no, no, wait a second, let's age it. And then cheese, I mean, it mm-hmm. takes so long for cheese to really kind of go bad, especially depending on the type of cheese. Yeah. Versus, like you said, like with milk, it's like if it comes out fresh, back then without refrigeration, probably two three days it spoils. Yeah. So exactly, you found ways to kind of like preserve your food, you know, like salting fish and everything yes. like that, salting meat. Yeah, you know it's fascinating.
2: Yeah, it's, it, when you put it into a historical context, it's really interesting when you mm-hmm. start realizing, oh, this is why they did it the way they did it. Mm-hmm. But and how mm-hmm.
0: it made sense. Midlerzubi um, watching the show this morning. He has a question. He's a big um, his wife mates kombucha so he wants to know is it the same scoby as kombucha or it's a kind of a different no. so you have to get something specifically for yes it's Kiefer. completely separate okay
2: mm. completely separate
0: so yeah so you have to get but a new it's similar
2: <laughs> similar and then once again it's a it's a drink where you're mm-hmm. adding probiotics to it and making it to where it's you mm-hmm. know really bioavailable for your gut exactly but he would have
0: to get specifically kefir for yes grains yes mm. that's there's your answer uh Nidla Rosalia de Rosalia Tardaro watching the show this morning. Thanks for uh thanks for tuning in and joining us. So I mean even with the right the, the fact that we've talked about the historical process, you guys yeah. also take there's a number of precautions. I mean your milk is tested yes. and so forth. There's a lot of things that go to still make it yeah. certified and safe.
2: So let's talk about food safety here then. Um I think there's a misconception that all food is safe. And the honest truth is even highly processed food is not safe. Like, if you go to foodsafetynews.com and you look, there's articles every day on a specific outbreak, whether it's related to lettuce or hot dogs or ice cream. Or don't, don't, don't
1: tell me, I don't want to know. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, you know, if you want to get nightmares, just get on some of these medical websites and, and well, read through. the Well, wor-
1: the worst thing is then you're going to go there and then it's like outbreak on this ice cream. You're like, I just had that last night. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs>
2: it's like watching the car warranty thing. There's a recall on my car. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, so, so the thing is, like, with food, we're kind of in the risk mitigation business. Like, I wish I could say we could make it 100,000% perfectly safe. There can never, ever, ever be a problem with that. Unfortunately, there are some people out there who say, like, well, raw milk's a perfect food. There can never be a problem with that. And that's unfortunately just not correct. It's just not paying attention to the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is, you know, at Creambrook, we're actually members of the Raw Milk Institute. It's a global organization that is dedicated to raw milk research and looking at what are the best protocols we can put in place to make milk as safe as possible. Um, so that's why we have our own lab on the farm. We're doing our own testing. We test every single batch of milk before it heads out. Um, the tests we use, uh, without getting in the weeds on the scientific end mm-hmm. of it, are basically population counts. We can't test for specific pathogens. Mm-hmm. Right now mm-hmm. you need like a, a very, like a state lab to actually be able to do those yeah. tests. They're very expensive, and they take... A long time to do but we can do population counts where we can kind of get an idea of what the cleanliness of the milk is so for example i live in middlebrook there's like 200 people out there if i throw my keys my wallet on the dashboard of my car the chances my car getting stolen still exists but are very 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 low Mm -hmm. if i do that in new york city a city of millions my car is guaranteed to be gone by the time you get back. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a similar thing. We're looking, we're looking at population tests where it's like, if we know if we keep the number super, super low, our risk mitigation is working and we have, you know, It's clean, and we have a very, very low chance of there actually being a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, the cool thing is, in the same way that our cell phone has become a compression of libraries and research labs and all these other things that we've seen over the last 30 years, there's the same kind of technological compression going in within science right now. And there's some really cool new lab technology coming out probably next year where on-farm we'll actually be able to do pathogen test testing safely on the farm wow. so this is why we're we're part of the raw milk institute mm-hmm. and you know we're looking at like what are the things that we can constantly be learning and doing and improving to to make our system as safe as possible now there's still risks to raw milk like i'm not going to sit here and tell you there aren't and that's why we always tell people like look it's a personal decision on whether you feel comfortable with raw milk you know if you're coming off of chemotherapy or something where you've had your system completely wiped mm-hmm. out might not be the best thing for you to try something that's bi- that biologically active Exactly. Um, or, if you, or you've got a compromised immune system. or you know, we, we always tell people, we're here to support you on your, your food journey. We're not here to tell you, like, way to go? you need we to drink Creambrook Brook raw milk. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm a huge fan of it. I believe firmly in our product. But we always tell people, like, hey, you need to make an informed decision based on what you think's best for you and your family. We're here to support you, whether it's as a customer in Creambrook or not. Um, but, you know, you do have to take into consideration that there are some risks to it. And that's something that, like, us and there's some other raw milk dairies that are doing some extremely wonderful work now on, you know, with their own labs, own techniques, you know, procedures. But the problem is there's, there's a lot of raw milk floating around out there, too, that's also not as mm-hmm. cared for. Um, and I, I encourage people, like, if you're going to purchase raw milk, like have a relationship with your farmer, know where it's coming from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, ask informed questions about, like, do they have procedures and processes? Like, you know, we're not inspected by the state because the state doesn't want to legalize raw milk, um, but even though we're not inspected by the state, we still have built redundancies in our systems Mm -hmm. and have accountability within our system with our own laboratory, with our own standards and stuff like that, being members of the Raw Milk Institute. So if you're going to get raw milk from somebody, make sure that they... There's some accountability in the exactly. process. They're not just out there kind of sticking their finger in the wind and hoping everything's going to turn out fine mm-hmm. exactly. uh, at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's a serious business. We take it very serious. Um, and, you know, it's our joy to see people who are thriving, you know, because raw milk is usually the first step for somebody on a bigger food journey, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they're looking to, like, start eating cleaner or working out mm-hmm. or, or doing things. So it's, it's cool that we kind of get to be, a lot of times, that first step towards kind of pushing them to, like, yeah, a healthy lifestyle.
0: Exactly. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, Ben, this has been an absolute pleasure. Where can people, like, kind of, if people are interested in, in learning more and, mm-hmm. and, and checking you guys out, where's the best way to, where to find you? Yeah,
2: um, you can simply look us up online at creambrookfarm, C-R-E-A-M-B-R-O-O-K, farm.com. Uh, we have a wonderful Super website busy. that my wife has spent hours perfecting. <laughs> it is a nice website. Very <laughs> it's nice, Easy yes. to navigate. Um, we have a newsletter where if you want to get weekly updates on the farm, um, and a lot of our customer-related news as far as when milk's available in certain places would be there, mm-hmm. you can sign up for the uh, newsletter on the website. We are also on Instagram. We aren't on there as much as we. M- some people are. It's kind of more of it just where we post little random updates of what's mm-hmm. going on. But um, yeah, the website's kind of if you want to find out more, that's that's the place to go.
0: Perfect, creambrookfarm.com mm-hmm. Well, Ben, thanks yes, ben so thank much. Yes, thank you for so much, on. Ben. Really appreciate yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Thank you,
2: gentlemen.
1: Thanks. Thank you.
0: I always learn so much. Right? Yeah, that, that
1: was that was great. Just to learn kind of like first a little history about the you know raw milk and mm-hmm. how it ended up getting pasteurized and all that. But yeah, to see to see Ben talk about it, you, you could very clear his passion for it yep. you know he wants to kind of share the milk around and I, I'm telling you what I'm, I'm kind of interested uh, you know yeah, I'm going to be going to be. Be. <laughs> after, after the show
0: <laughs> I thought I said to myself <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't you know me
1: know a little too well <laughs> like, that's the problem
0: I know you well <laughs> Uh, so uh transitioning from there to, he he mentioned uh, it's funny you know, Ben mentioned we didn't he he did a great analogy of kind of yeah. owning the share of a towel versus owning a share of stock and like the
1: milk was like the dividend exactly like okay. the very dividend creative, which is yeah.
0: be, yeah, a great way of showing it you know and leads beautifully into like mm-hmm. different finance topics. Yeah you we, jumped uh, up and down when you heard I was like, oh, yes, so I okay, that like yes, I, I, I get that yep. I got that reference I got that reference Exactly so just a couple of things that we were um thinking of mm-hmm. uh, beforehand you know obviously Um, To Xavier's point, uh, a few weeks ago, how the consumer is still kind of pushing things forward with spending. We saw that again in the fourth quarter. Two interesting pieces of news, right? I saw Mm -hmm. a week ago, because the GDP number came out today. A week ago, I saw an article about how buy now, pay later hit its highest ever usage in the fourth quarter. I think
1: Nick had mentioned that at some point. Mm -hmm. We
0: actually talked about it. Nick had mentioned it before Ah. We even had fourth quarter data mm-hmm. on it. And tons of people were using buy now, pay later in the fourth quarter. So they were buying things and with the notion that they would pay for them in January, February, March, March. April. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course, fourth quarter GDP, 3.3%. It's a good number. So it, it's just a good number. A lot of that is being purchased by things that are going to have to yes. be paid for in the first quarter year. And, and, and what's, year what's interesting
1: forward. is that you, Xavier, um, Nicholas and myself, we've been talking about this a few times mm-hmm. at, at work because, you know, we were noticing what's like, come Christmas time, everyone's going to spend because no one wants to go cheap on Christmas presents, mm-hmm. right? So you kind of had a feeling that it's like, you know, fourth quarter GDP number is probably going to be positive. Mm-hmm. The question is coming these next, this next quarter GDP and maybe even the one following, is there going to be mm-hmm. some sort of backlash to yeah, the fact right. that everyone was spending – Mm-hmm. You know, with these kind of like borrow, small mm-hmm. borrower programs, and now they're going to eventually have to start paying it back.
0: Mm-hmm. At what point, it, then, is at what point when you're at the highest ever credit card debt, you have buy and out pay later, which mm-hmm. is basically a way to push credit card debt into the future, and you have student loans resuming, 40% of which people have not begun
1: to pay back. Debt.
0: 40% of student loan people are already delinquent. And,
1: and some of those student loans are pretty hefty. I mean, I know a couple of people who. Or start repaying their student loans, and it's it's a pretty big number that it's forced them to think about having to take a second job. Exactly. So, it's so at what point is your spending finally hit? At what point mm-hmm. do you
0: actually run out of? I mean, you've been fueling consumer spending by pulling out of four hundred and one ks, going into debt, using buy now pay later. At what point can you not do it anymore? Mm-hmm. And that's the real question. Is it the first quarter? Is it next year? And at what point? Do people simply say, I, "I now I have to stop because I literally have no more options, and I have to cut down on something"? So it's mm-hmm. it's it's just interesting yeah. that I see that last week and this week I'm like, "Well, sure enough, people use buy now pay later. They bought stuff. It shows mm-hmm. up in consumer spending." Yeah, because- and,
1: and the prediction happens like you're like no fourth quarter for twenty twenty three GDP is going to be a good number, and it was. Now it's like big test is come what April going forward exactly what that number is going to be. Exactly. Yeah. So,
0: just very interesting to see there. Um, we had talked about it a little bit before the show started. The uh, younger individuals, so nearly half of young adults, say they are obsessed with being rich. It's their terms, not mine. And, and um, yeah, basically, forty-six uh, percent of millennials, forty-four percent of Gen Z, like are very nervous about wanting to be wealthy.
1: Now, Cassie question. does that article have a number in which they define wealthy?
0: No, which is an interesting...
1: Yes, because Mm -hmm. people have different views of what's wealthy. Because let's be honest, there was a time, a very long time, where it's like if you made $100,000, you would be considered very wealthy, like really well-to-do, upper-middle class. As inflation has gone up and we see housing prices go up and mortgage rates go up, this is getting to a point where $100,000 isn't necessarily the upper-middle class, very wealthy number I mean, that it used you to man, be. If you
0: live in Manhattan, it's not even close. No, I you mean – You can't afford to live in Manhattan. Yeah, to,
1: to, uh, to rent an apartment for a year is already probably $100,000. Median income for a
0: household
1: is $123,300. Right
0: wow. here, median, which is like flat yeah, middle, $123,000. Yeah.
1: So I'm just curious what exactly is def- the defining number for, oh, I want to be rich. Because maybe they think, well, $200,000 a year is rich, but $2,000 might not be – On uh, two hundred grand a year is not necessarily mm-hmm. rich anymore. Exactly. It may have been 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You would have been like, oh, yeah, you're it's, borderline it, rich. It
0: sounds like it's a lot of it. What it is is partly in part because we have such a social media culture mm-hmm. that obviously the younger you are, the more you are on these things, you're seeing – what wealthy people do more than ever, more than ever, right? Mm-hmm. Think about if you were like living on a farm in 1920s. Do you know that John Rockefeller is taking a vacation to Europe every month? No, it's not. It's no. not. You check it every day. It's not every day. Let me see what Rockefeller's up to today, right? But now, though, if you're on social media, you see every day what people you are following. If they are wealthy influencers, you mm-hmm. see every single day. I went to Prague. I went to a mall for you
1: and yesterday. it's not. And it's not just the rich people, because let's be honest. Like you could say, yeah, Elon Musk went to this place. I mean, Elon Musk has wealth that you, you as a realistic person, will realize you will never be able to attain. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the problem with social media is it creates these. You follow so many people that you see this other person, you're like, well, I'm kind of like that guy, or maybe I even know that guy. Mm -hmm. How do you take this vacation to this place? You know, like you mentioned, like the multi coast, they got a boat on, you know, go out in the the boat and they're swimming. But you have to be careful because sometimes that is literally those people's kind of, like you mentioned, their job, or it's all basically an image that they're trying to create Mm -hmm. of wealth. Because by trying to look wealthier, they're hoping to get more money. But it's made, sometimes it's not necessarily the case. The they, might not, they might not be making that much mm-hmm. more money than you that are. That might be their one vacation above. in four years. Or something. Exactly. Or some people have this really, really fancy car and you're like, oh, wow. Look how much fancy car. But they actually have zero dollars in a 401k. They have zero dollars yep. in an IRA. Mm-hmm. They spent all their money on a fancy car to look wealthier than you. Mm-hmm. And, and then hoping by like, looking wealthier than you, you're going to follow or buy their product that say hey exactly. i got this you know porsche because i wear this shampoo so I, i'm gonna buy that the shampoo because i want <laughs> that porsche it's like it's not correlated but in that's how kind of they make their money so you have to be careful with exactly. that exactly i mean nick had a great comment he was thinking the same thing before we even said it
0: that could it be that the desire to be rich might be social media driven rather than a financial decision
1: i i bet you in most cases i bet you mm-hmm. that is the case mm-hmm. you just watch social media it's like ah. Oh, you know, Jim Jim went to uh, Prague this year for a, a week. How come I can't do that? He must be rich. But like you said, there are other factors that could be determining that. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't do any other vacation at all. Maybe exactly. he didn't save any money. Maybe he used a pay now, uh, you know, By, buy now, pay, pay later. later program. I mean, a lot of people have mm-hmm. done that too. I mean, we've noticed sometimes like in vacations, there's a lot of younger people and you hear that about their that. struggle with credit card debt. And you're like, how could so many young people be on vacation if they're all in debt? Well, because they're just... Putting on more debt. Yep. It's like, well, I don't want to skip my vacation. Mm-hmm. I want to put this on Instagram, and exactly.
0: And I think for me, that comes down to when you say because I think when people, especially younger people, when you say you want to be wealthy, the question I always have is, what is? You need to narrow it down to what is mm-hmm. your real goal because the things which make you wealthy in the long term, right, are, for, to for lack of a better term, the unsexy things, mm-hmm. right. So it's it's the opposite of leisure now, travel now, buying things now. It is the number one thing you could do to become wealthy is save money early, right? It's the most powerful thing. You start, uh, we ran this when the Roth IRA was $6,000 a year, the most you could put into it. But you put $6,000 a year into your Roth IRA from age 22 to 30. In other words, that's 500, which is not cheap, that's 500 Mm -hmm. bucks a month. Every year from 22 to 30, that's 500 bucks you could use to go on vacation. To, you know what I mean? 500, obviously, 6,000 a year you could of use to go on vacation, buy things. Do but 7, I, I know where you're time. going with this, yes. If you do that for those eight years and you never save another penny, you have $750,000 by the time you are yeah. retired at, at 68, mm-hmm. right? So, and this retire- that this was like the 67, 68 retirement age. So, yeah, you can become wealthy. You can get $750,000 in the bank. yeah. At 67, if, you own, if what you do is save $6,000 a year for eight years, starting at age 22, and then you never save another penny. Yeah. Right? But that's, but that's not the thing. You can't put that on Instagram, right? That's not the thing that doesn't appear anywhere. It doesn't appear as a car. It doesn't appear as increased leisure time. It yeah. doesn't appear as a vacation. It's, it's mm-hmm. a hidden thing which results in you being wealthy.
1: Yeah, because wealth wealth is also, about also kind of what you own. Like you say, you have retirement accounts or maybe you own a house. Mm-hmm. None of these, especially certain houses, if you're younger, you're not going to have a – You're not you going to put your
0: townhome on Instagram and say, exactly, look, look at my,
1: my new townhome. 500- no, exactly. Reti- yeah, you yeah. want to show off a fancy house. So you're like, well, I don't have that house. But the point is you have to start small. The problem is st- – Symbols of wealth sometimes are depreciating assets, not appreciating assets. Mm-hmm. So for example, you could buy a Rolex watch that's fifty thousand dollars and say, look at me, but guess what? That Rolex might not be jumping in price. You, no. you could get a the really fancy watch. It, it's not
0: worth fifty thousand.
1: Exactly. You could buy a car and think about it. the minute you buy that new seventy thousand dollar Porsche, it's already depreciating in assets. But mm-hmm. you're gonna look rich because you're like, I got the watch, I got the car. Exactly. You know, you could even buy the same thing, a really fancy suit mm-hmm. or how you dress. You will look wealthy, but you what you 're wearing now is already decreasing in value exactly well I always, I always thought about it like every
0: time like you hear about um, net wealth numbers in America right what percent of people have net wealth mm-hmm. and so forth and I always say to people net wealth like wealth is a deceiving can be a deceiving number because if you and i I always use this example if you let 's say you own a house and you own a car and you you know, you own some stuff, you have some money, but you've got a million dollars of debt because you fight. you know, your house is underwater, yeah. your car loan, your car's mm-hmm. worth less than what you borrowed it, but you're sitting there with a million dollars of debt between mortgage, credit card debt, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that debt is greater than your, let's say, that, let's say you have $800,000 of assets, but a mm-hmm. million dollars of debt. You are wealthier than a homeless guy on the street with $5 in his pocket and no debt. Mm-hmm. But his, debt, his net wealth is $5. Yeah. Your net wealth is minus 200 right? Do you feel like the homeless guy with $5 is wealthier than you? Not really, mm-hmm. right? So there are things which are not producing wealth for you. They're not making you wealthier, but they make you feel wealthier,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So it's, it's an interesting uh, – so it's funny. Uh, uh, Nicholas, as a comedy, says he's been told a lot of Gen Z millennials are buying – smart stuff and cars because they've given up on owning a home so they decided it's not worth it to save mm-hmm. so it's, it's like you said it's that transition to well i don't think i can have a real asset so i'm going to do things buy things which give the appearance and the feeling of wealth yeah. but those are two contradictory things so you mm-hmm. you often have to decide just, you could you could sit there there's nothing wrong there's a whole there's an old movie um I forget what it's called. There's an old movie with Terry Grant essentially based on this topic where he decides that he's going to blow all his money and enjoy his youth and then work into old age. The Amazing Adventure? No, it's... It might be called Vacation or something. I can't remember. It's not mm. The Amazing Adventure, but I, it's a movie with him and um, I believe it's Terry Grant and uh, Catherine Hepburn. But I forget what the name of the movie is. I'm not 100% sure.
1: The one with the, the cheetah? No, it's uh. not the
0: one with the cheetah. It's a different one, but um, where well, he basically does—he basically decides to do that. He said, "I'm going to quit my job, burn all my money now because I want to enjoy mm-hmm. youth, and then I'll just deal with it in retirement." And nobody around him can understand this decision, right? And that if you want to do that, look—I mean, by all means, you will not become wealthy. Mm-hmm. You will be the opposite of wealthy. Yes. If your goal is wealthy, then it often is the the opposite of what you may see on social media. The things which make you become wealthy. And if you want to become wealthy at 40, right? If you want to retire in your 30s, then you probably got to do what the guy I once read about that he basically ate Chef Boyardee cans for his entire (laughs) 20s, right? And lived in a 200 square foot, 500 square foot tiny apartment. And then, yes, you will become wealthy Mm -hmm. by 40. But... You will not feel wealthy in your
1: entire 20s. Exactly, yeah, and then you're gonna have backaches, and then knee problems, and then you can't do this, or you can't go <laughs> here, and you're like, "What?" Exactly. So it's that. It's a lot of it is. He off got issues because he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: So a lot of it is you have to think about what you mean by wealthy mm-hmm. and how you want to. Ah, Nick has the movie's called Holiday.
1: Holiday. It's oh. the movie called Holiday. Oh, that one. Okay. It's not
0: the Cheetah, but it's, it's... yes.
1: I know Holiday. Okay. Holiday. Yeah. Well, that's the one where he's going to marry the rich lady, right? Yeah, and, Catherine Hepburn, yeah. Catherine, well, no, he's not going to marry he's, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn's her sister. He's married. Oh, he's, he's married somebody else. else. Yes, yes.
0: yes. Yep, the 1938 film. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Called Holiday, which
0: Got is basically it. exactly about that. So it's you yeah, have but to yeah, decide. but it's easy
1: because at that one they they have money. So yeah, he's gonna blow his money. Yeah, but it's easy to blow what you have versus yeah. like it's not, you go can't blow debt. something you don't have. Exactly. You can't be you like I'm to gonna debt. spend it, and it's like well you have no money. How can you live a life <laughs> exactly. of you know luxury <laughs> you for to, twenty to, years? You go into deep debt. Yeah, to do it. <laughs> well, but
0: essentially, you have to make those. You have to make that decision.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious what exactly to get into the minds of millennials and Gen Z people, what, what their definition now of wealthy really is. I, I would you know, be is sure it just that. owning a house? Is mm-hmm. it owning like a, you know,
0: mm-hmm. two-story well, I house? I some of them have up on a house. Yeah, so... They're redefining what you wealthy know? may look like. I'm,
1: I'm curious whether they're trying to jump a step, like they're trying to get from point A to point D without realizing they have to go to point B, B C, and C and e. first. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Exactly, that's a great point.
1: But But I think there is... Unfortunately, I think there is a slight problem with the economy, which you do see where I don't. I think our jobs and the wages that they're being paid I have not necessarily kept up, kept up with, inflation, kept up with price. inflation. So I think for a lot of Gen Z millennials, they they have a common gripe where they're like, you know, I'm working. For example, for some people, I'm working at like a Walmart, and it's like I can't afford rent, I can't afford groceries, mm-hmm. and this is a problem because again, it's not like the problem is necessarily like, oh, well, you can't live on a Walmart job. Well, people used to live working at grocery stores all their lives in the 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, even to the 90s. Now, it's becoming a problem because, again, the prices have jumped up so high. People are like, well, mm-hmm. wait a second. They told me to just, if you take this job, you can live comfortably, but and I can't live can't. comfortably. I mm-hmm. have to do more. Now, i got to work two jobs. So, they, they feel like they're at a disadvantage and I don't think there's been a lot of solutions for people to kind of fix that.
0: Well, well like, Jerry just told us, you know, median home median income... Area 120. If, if a home, if the, the, the best you can do at, uh, you, for your first time home is $400,000, you have to work almost four years.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the medium. And, that's, that's and there's some, some wealthier people in the Charlottesville area that I'm sure have. Or maybe below the median. <laughs> what was that? I mean,
0: you, you could be, if you're making $100,000 a year, but you're below the median. Yeah. And you're working, you would have to save your entire salary for four years. Yeah. So it's the certain things have also done up mm-hmm. home prices higher than inflation. So it's I think you're definitely right. They're they're seeing the challenge of working really hard doesn't always translate now into being actually able to succeed.
1: No, it's it's very difficult. So so it's you can definitely you know, understand. And I think I think that's also why we're seeing some of the credit card numbers so mm-hmm. high.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And then the other. Um, Last topic I just wanted to cover, uh, to Xavier's point, we had talked uh, to a couple of weeks ago, New Year, a lot of articles come out. Oh, my goodness, people are going to get all these RMDs, required minimum distributions this That's year because the stock market went up, right? Terrible. In their 401Ks. And you're like, the tax you pay on, a, on an RMD, even if it was like 20%, I think I would rather pay, get 80% of more money than than 100% of less money. Seeing a lot of similar ones about Social Security now. So Social Security cost of living Mm -hmm. adjustment, which is Social Security basically they're paying you Social Security 8.7% more this year than last year if you receive Social Security. The amount of Social Security that is exempt from being taxed never changes. It hasn't changed in like 20 Mm -hmm. years. So what happens is there may be a small group of people that because they're making 8.7% more Social Security mm-hmm. will be pushed into the category where some of their Social Security will be taxed. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, it, only 85% can ever be taxed. So you, the government never taxes 100% of your Social Security. They would tax 85% of what is over the threshold. So I'm sitting there saying, this sounds like a bad thing. But it's actually a good thing.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's like someone like, you know, you go and you're like, oh, last year I paid $15,000 in, in uh, income tax. And now this year I'm going to pay 20000 And you'll be like, well, why? Did the rate go up? No. I made $25,000 more. Well, then that's a good thing. You should be like, oh, look, this is terrible. You're going to pay $5,000 more. Yeah, but you made more money. so you know, Exactly. You got to look so, at the bright side. Exactly.
0: So, I mean, even if, let's say, of your 8.7% increase. Let's say it's $140 a month mm-hmm. on average, right? And they're going to tax all of it at 20%. right? So you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, now i got to pay you know, $21 more. i got to pay $21 more in taxes. I'm like, I think I'd rather have $140 more and pay 21 in taxes so net I only get $119. I think I'd rather have $119 more then have no more money with the satisfaction that I'm not paying anything to the
1: government well like, yeah it's it's like I mean what's like the I don't remember the exact income tax bracket but it's like would you rather if you made $50,000 you'd pay this amount of taxes mm-hmm. but if you made one hundred fifty, dollars you paid this amount well I don't want to pay that amount of taxes but would you rather have the yeah, $150,000 $100, exactly. exactly it's like if you gave someone just the n- amount of money they'd have to pay in taxes people would be like oh give me the lower one I'm like yeah but you're making less money because if you're paying that little you're not making a lot of exactly. money I help in reality I want to be Paying a million dollars in taxes to the so government.
0: Just I'm sure I'm
1: making at that point a hundred million dollars or whatever it is. So yeah. So there are things in life which
0: David and I would call good problems to have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your Social Security going up by 8.7% and you now having to pay a little tax is a good problem. So don't be scared that exactly. like when you see these articles, you might think, Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have less money. Do the math, realize you will still have more mm-hmm. money this year than last year. You won't have as much as you might think if you just looked at the increase, but you will have more money. So it's, social security, cost of living adjustment going up is a good thing and it's a necessary thing given mm-hmm. inflation that we've seen. So don't be scared by these kinds of articles. Just talk to someone who knows what they're doing. Your financial advisor will mm-hmm. know. Your account- Your accountant will probably know. There are people, talk to people who know and, and help them, get them to help you understand what's going on because mm. it doesn't make sense to be scared by clickbait. Yes. By and, clipping and, and a lot, yeah,
1: and these people, yeah, they're very misleading in their mm-hmm. articles and their headlines, yeah.
0: What is the headline? Things will be, you know, you will receive more money in Social Security this year.
1: Nobody, I mean, nobody, nobody reads nobody the article. Clips it. Yeah
0: you should be hit with a terrible tax bill this year. Exactly. Oh, i got
1: to see this. i got to see what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always like that. The news is always negative. It's like old lady wins lotto. Nobody clicks. Like old lady gets, you know, mysterious boss. disappears. You're clicking. It's like, how did she disappear? Exactly. And all she did was, you know, go to the doctor a day and came back. But it's, it's terrible. Exactly. Yeah, I just hate the way they have to manipulate headlines. It's like, oh, you know, good stuff happening. How can I make this bad? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. What's the negative in this? So just be aware of it and, I think, and mm-hmm. make sure people know about it. So that's what I had. Finance topic No, was. I think that was it's, good. Uh, it was
1: good to kind of give people a little feel of what's kind of mm-hmm. going on so far to Thank start uh, out 2024. Out mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it's been a great show. Learned a yes. lot. Tremendously. You're going to be uh, out on a 3 I know. Exactly. <laughs> yes,
1: I know. More well, more ben, ben was a great guest. He, you know, he kind of gave us a good inside into the raw milk. Mm -hmm. Like, I was curious, too, how the process of collecting the raw milk, you know, how it's kind of going through the stainless steel Mm -hmm. and kind of getting, you know, not frozen, but kind of cooled Mm -hmm. off very quickly. Because, you know, my... Not that I, I said, it can't be just like, you, you know, just, yes, put a bucket, it. Shoop, put in the bottle. Yeah. And I said, there's got to be something else. But it was interesting how this kind of like that a works. cleansing process, a mm-hmm. filter, you know, so you're not really drinking it directly from the cow. Though I forgot to ask him whether he's actually done that. I <laughs> not yeah. You know, because he said actually the milk comes out like, what is it, like 110 100 degrees? degrees. That must be like yeah, a wor- really warm. So it's got to be really warm, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting. that's interesting.
0: That would be neat to find out if anyone mm-hmm. that does that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure someone does. I'm sure does. some people do it.
1: You know, probably you don't want to do it too often because, like you said, there's a lot of stuff. You know, it's yeah. coming from a cow. so yeah, exactly. You know, they're sitting in mud and poop, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it looks kind of funny taste, taste. Right? <laughs> That's why you filter it, it and go go on. That's why they <laughs> clean it so much.
0: Absolutely. Well, just, I also like the, the business model, how, mm-hmm. how you navigate what is not an easy environment for what mm-hmm. you want to sell. And you figure out ways to do it and, and exactly. do the
1: share and the... You're not buying the milk. This is, you're, you're, getting paying a dip, you're, you're paying him to deliver him. milk
0: from a cow that you own a part of. Exactly. Which is really interesting. Uh, next week, i got some more great guests. We're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Eduardo Castro and Kelly Tortas from Castro Integrative, Integrative Medicine or Integrative Medicine. Interesting. However you want to pronounce it. Um, so that will be uh, coming on the show. Next week, um, it, should be a, it should be a fun one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll be you or if Xavier will be back, but we'll find out.
1: We'll, we'll find out. We'll keep everyone in suspense.
0: Exactly. Uh, always appreciate being here. No,
1: I'm happy to be here. Uh, with
0: you. Always appreciate Judah behind the camera. Jerry giving us some financial data exactly. live on air. Love it. All our great guests. Thank you all so much. Uh, for tuning in this morning. Uh, thanks, of course, to Emergent Financial Services, to Castle Hill Cider, Credit Series Insurance, Matias, Yoon realty, Ford Adelante. and to all of you for joining us today, for your questions, comments. Uh, be sure to check us out next week. We look forward to seeing you then. But until that time, as we'd like to close it out, hasta mañana. <laughs>